really enjoyed what uh, Crit is giving us, and uh, hope you can shift gears here. Um, these these parables, probably all the parables this week, will be very practical to our personal lives, um, and and deal more um, with heart issues, and then with how those um, attitudes and things are worked out in our daily lives. <clears throat> um, so, like the. Uh, the flyer says we're going to be talking about who these parables were addressed to and then how they, uh, who else they apply to and how they may apply to us. I hope you've read these. Um, we're not going to have time when, uh, to, to go through and, and read everything. Uh, when Daniel offered this as a suggestion, the vineyard parables, I thought, well, that sounds good. I'll do two parables and have plenty of material. Um, it is interesting, I think, to see how these two blend and how they kind of have a common theme. Um, And uh, it it does give me a lot of material to cover as well. So we're going to need to move fairly quickly. Beginning with the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, as it's titled in uh, my Bible, chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Now look at that context a little bit. Uh, Who is this parable spoken to? Back up into chapter 19 a little bit. The disciples, yes. I kind of, I, for some reason I thought he was speaking to like the Jewish leaders. But yeah, it's Peter uh, in verse 27 who says, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have there for? So um, Jesus addressed that question to the disciples saying, um, not answering directly, but giving this as a parable. It's something they can learn from. Um, it, it, it appears like chronologically this took place just after the rich young ruler came to Jesus and, and uh, wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus asked him to go and sell all that he has, give to the poor, etc. Um, and then... The, a little bit later, Peter comes up with this question. We have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Jesus promises um, in verse 28 and 29 that they, sh- that they shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. So it applies specifically to, to the disciples. Disciples at that time. Who else may it apply to? Okay, and uh, going to chapter twenty. Who else? There's a couple I'm thinking of here. Who else might this parable be talking about? Could this parable be talking about? The first should be last and the last first. Some commentators mention the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews came first. They're the people of the covenant. They were offered. Um, they had the Old Testament um, mosaic writings. They had the prophets. They had Jesus coming to them as a nation. 
and then the Gentiles coming later. Um, I've also seen people talking about uh, those who come to Christ early in life versus those who come later. And we'll get into the parable a little bit and you'll see that. It may also refer to, uh, or it could apply to us thinking of uh, opportunities that we've missed. So we've, we've passed up, we've missed an opportunity um, maybe several times before we take the opportunity and it's too late to, to capture all that we could have and yet we, um, we still have a chance to, to do what we can with that opportunity. <clears throat> all right, looking at um, the structure of this, this is something that's, that's fairly new to me. Uh, maybe you've seen this before, um, but there's structures in uh, Scripture, and it's Old Testament, New Testament alike. That's kind of fascinating. It's called a chiasm. Uh, how many of you know what a chiasm is? Chiastic form. No, that's okay. Um, Javen talked about it a couple of years ago here at Bible school, um, and you see it here as well. Chiasm is where you begin um, with a, let's say, letter A. And you go letter A, B, C. And it could be short. It could just be A, B, B, A. Or it could be, in this case, A, B, C, D, F, D, E, F. And then back E, D, C, B, A. If I can get my alphabetical backwards. So let's look at the structure here a little bit. It's, it's very common. And once you start looking for this structure, you can you pick it up pretty quickly. Uh, the letter A, you see in verse 30 of chapter 19, many that are first shall be last, the last shall be first. You see that repeated in verse 16. So at the beginning and at the end, we have this statement. Uh, letter B, the, the, household, the householder hired laborers for his vineyard. It belongs to him. And in verse 15, he says, Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? So There's just a little bit of parallelism there. Uh, letter C, he agreed with them. For a penny a day, in verse 2. And in verse 13, he says, Friend, I did thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? And so you see these, there's parallel thoughts, and we're working toward the center of the, the story. Letter D is, he, um, he says to the, to the next workers, those that went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and he says to them that he will pay them what is right. In verse 10, um, or in 11, verse 9, he paid them each a penny. In his eyes, that was right, to pay them all equally. In uh, letter E, you have the 11th hour workers in, verses, in verse 8, and again, the 11th hour workers in verse 9. Um, and then the central, the, the, the climax of this story. In, in Jewish writing, like, we read a story and we expect the climax to come at the end, right? We read, it builds up, it, it, it builds up, it builds up, we have a climax, and then the story ends. In this case, the story builds, it builds, it builds, it builds to the climax, and then you have a parallel um, backing down and, and, until you get to the end of the story. Norman did this in his devotional, by the way, um, yesterday in church. Did you notice it? I don't know if I can remember it. Um, he talked about a... A king, and then a missionary, and then a child, right? And he said, but maybe you say, I'm not a child. And then he backed up. And then maybe you say, I'm not a missionary. Maybe you say, I'm not a king. 
and then uh, he, he tied that all. He used the kayas. I don't know if he, he, if he knew that he did that. But, um, and for the Jews, many of their uh, writings were handed down orally. And so this is a, a, a kind of a memory aid. It, it doesn't really change the story, but it does something interesting to the story. And that is, it brings the focus to the center of the story. And if you look at verse 8. When the even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Now I'm assuming here that you know the story. He went to the marketplace where there would have been day workers needing work. He hired those laborers for one penny a day's wages to work all day, 12 hours. Three hours later he goes out again. He hires more laborers who have apparently come to the marketplace a little bit later. He sends them to his fields promising a good wage. At the sixth hour, he does the same. At the ninth hour, he does the same. At the eleventh hour, he again offers uh, work to these men who at, you have a 12-hour day because they're close to the equator. So at roughly five o'clock, you have these people that have not yet been hired. They've been idle all day. And Jesus sends them to the vineyard, or the, the householder in this case sends them to the vineyard. So he calls the laborers and gives them their hire, beginning not from the first to the last, but from the last to the first. If he'd have given the first workers their hire and would have sent them away, they might not have even have known that the 11th hour workers received the same as they did. Um, but in the story, Jesus deliberately flip-flop it. The, flip, the householder gives the 11th hour workers their wage first, and then the ninth hour workers, and then the sixth, and then the third, and then the all-day laborers, and they all received the same amount. Now, that's not fair, is it? Well, we, we know about, you know, we get paid by the hour or by the piece, and we like our overtime and, and all of that. Um, but Jesus, this householder, says, I will give you what is right. So the focus here is not on one laborer or on another laborer, but the focus in verse 8 is on the householder himself who rewards the laborers at the end of the day and he rewards them equally. Not because they've all worked the same amount, not because they've all harvested the same number or amount of grapes, but because they've all answered the call that he offered them when he offered it. God, the gracious householder, rewards all who finish well. God is good and right in what he does, whether or not that fits our definition of fair. To quote uh, from my dad, who's writing or has written a commentary, I got a sneak preview. Remuneration by God for faithfulness is not measured by amount done or length of time served, but by individual response to opportunity and calling relative to one's own God-given ability. God's compensation will be right. We can depend on that. End of quote. And Abraham also refers to this a little bit. He says, Will not the God of all the earth do right? Will not, I'm sorry, the judge. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? God is right. God's ways are right, whether they seem fair to us or not. There's also several lessons 
more specifically to us that we can learn here. Verses 6 and 7. And, the, and these two, um, kind of like the chiasm, are, are opposite in nature. They look at the, the same story from two different perspectives. So in verses 6 and 7, we have the 11th hour people. They've been idle all day. I don't know if they got up late. Did they go shopping? Why did they only come to the marketplace looking for work so late in the afternoon? But the householder comes and says to them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that, ye sh- that shall ye receive. I remember in Kenya, Sam Hoffman pointed out to us that, you see those fellows over there in the corner of the street? They are called casual workers. Uh, they stand there, they don't have any employment, but uh, they'll call themselves casual workers, that's about as high as they can get, they're not having a job, and they'll be available. Somebody comes along and hires them for the day. Well, then they did get a little something that day. Would they have worked? Would they have been there all day, looking for oh, work? Oh yeah, more, yeah. Okay. So, uh, they expect that there's be some hope that uh, they could be getting a little money for some okay. work today. Yet. So the tr- tradition goes on, I guess. It's <laughs> interesting. Casual workers. Yeah, you'd have to be pretty casual to be there at five o'clock yet and just kind of hanging out. I don't know. He said, "He said, I'll give you what is right." Is it in that wording there? In uh, yeah, whatsoever is right that you shall receive. He didn't. He didn't contract with them for a penny. Um, so they must have been delighted to get a day's wage at an hour later. I think probably. But in verse two, they agreed mm-hmm. for a penny a day. Uh, but then in verse twelve. Mm-hmm. So they didn't feel that that penny, that agreed amount, was right anymore. It was fair, but now it's not after all, huh? If they wouldn't see what the other people got, they'd be That's right. Yeah. So the difference wasn't in how much they expected to work or how much they got. They expected to get paid, but the difference was their attitude, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure. That's that's an application here. I think what he was trying to make clear is that that God doesn't... I mean, obviously the, the disciples had just walked away from their fishing and their, you know, whatever that they had. And, and, the, and the rich young ruler apparently wasn't willing to do that. Or it, it caused him sorrow to think of doing that at the very least. Um, I think he's just making the point here that, you know, you've come to me first and you've given a lot, but be careful, watch your attitude, that you don't um, begrudge people that come later and work less. 
and that, that applies to us, doesn't it? Um, different people have different testimonies of God's grace, and if we're not careful, we can, we can be these kind of people. Why, doesn't, why didn't God bless me like that? Why didn't I have that experience? Um, and I don't know, that's about the best answer I can give. Uh, it's just a, it's a warning. It's, it's, it's showing God's uh, idea of fairness, but it's also a warning to us to, to watch our attitudes in this. <clears throat> Well, they had left all and followed him. So maybe, I don't know. It doesn't really, they don't really talk about him. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus says uh, that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And what we have, what we're given, will be right, whatever God wants us to be. And eternal life is equal for for all people that come. Yeah. Was so born again this year, or was Abraham's time? Mm-hmm. It's their belief of the born again person today will receive a greater reward than Abraham did how many thousand years ago. <laughs> Right. It's not paid by the hour here. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly one of the lessons. Um, it, it, Paul talks about that, um, comparing, or comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Um, that. I think uh, the, the day here, the, the literal 12 hours that he was talking about, um, would apply to our life. Our, our whole life. Um, and many of us have received the call to come to Christ at a young age. Um, and, but like I mentioned, I think this, these opportunities, the day, may also be talking about um, other parts, other things that come into our lives. Um, maybe it's like a like a, a relationship that we have somebody, and we don't, we don't offer them, we don't speak to them of Christ um, while we have opportunity, and, and, and we wait, and some of that opportunity slips away. Um, maybe it's a, you know involvement in some ministry that, um, well, is God really calling me to that or not? And, and while we wait, time slips away. Um, we, maybe you can think of other uh, examples there as well. But 
with the opportunity that you have, um, you know, whether you've responded early or whether you've wasted three hours or whether you've waited six or nine or 11 hours, um, the, the message is the same. God's invitation to come work is the same. And to take the time that we have left with that opportunity, whether it's one hour or whether it's six, um, let's use the remainder of the opportunity. Why stand ye idle? Go ye also into the vineyard, and what's right is what you'll receive. And we can trust God's goodness in that. Let's finish well. Let's take what's left of the opportunity and leave the reward to him who judgeth righteously. Yeah, I, uh, I thought of that angle, and I didn't, I, I didn't dig into that at all. <laughs> um, Eternal life is eternal life, right? Yeah. And that'll be the same for everyone. Yeah. I think the warning here is to be careful. Um, yeah, not to, not to, like you said earlier, not to focus on what other people are doing and receiving, um, but to, to use the opportunity we have and to know that God is good. Yeah, that kind of that question that Peter asked, what are we going to have? Because we have done all this. Um, it's kind of where he was going. Verse 15 speaks to that. Um, is thine eye evil because I am good? Is it not lawful for me to do with what I, what I want with my own? Um, that evil eye, envy or jealousy. You know, we, we, all of us have received God's grace. And so why be jealous of someone else who has received God's You've received it too. Um, the other thing I thought of is that maybe uh, if we're jealous of, or, or if we feel like we've worked more and we deserve more, uh, maybe our, our concept of work is a little warped. Um, God created work for our fulfillment and for our benefit. It's, it's good to work, and how much more so to work in God's kingdom. And so what a blessing to be able to, to work long in God's kingdom. Um, not be jealous of the ones that that came late and and received a reward for that. Um, like you said, we should be thankful for God's invitation, whether it's early or whether it's it's later. Um, we should work with the time we have left, and we should be thankful for God's grace to late comers. Um, probably all of us are a late comer in some way or another. All right, let's move then to Matthew 28, or sorry, 21, verse 28, the parable of the two sons. And I'm going to go quickly through this, but I, I'm going to, it, it does refer to a vineyard, and it works perfectly as a bridge between these two um, longer parables. 
The next parable then will be the parable of the wicked husbandman from verses 33 to 41 in chapter 21. But there's this little bridge here. The, um, this is now speaking to the chief priests and the elders. The day before Jesus came, his, made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he cleansed the temple, and then the, the children were singing in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, in the temple. And, and the, the chief priests and elders uh, were not, you can understand, they were worked up about this. So when Jesus began to teach the next morning, they were ready for him, and they asked him two questions. What authority, by what authority do you do this? And who gave you the authority? Now first he responds by saying, I'll tell you if you tell me the answer to this question. Uh, the baptism of John, whence was it from heaven or from men? They couldn't answer that question. And so he says he won't tell them either. But then he follows with these two parables and he answers both questions. Not actually, but he, he does. And they get it. You can see that they get it. It's hard to miss. So in verse 28, there's a certain man has two sons. And uh, he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will, uh, will not. But afterward, he repented and went. The father came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. And then he says specifically to them, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. You came first, you leaders, but you missed, you, you, didn't, you didn't accept me. And so these sinners who said they, who didn't follow God until now, answered my invitation and now they become the first. The last, first, and the first, last. Here another parable, verse 33. There was a certain householder again. This householder planted a vineyard. And he hedged it around about. He digged a wine press, built a tower, got it all ready. And here you see this order again. And uh, he plants the vineyard, gets it ready. He invested in it. At the end of this parable, he receives fruit he receives a return on his investment in verse 41. Secondly, he let it out to husbandmen. And in verse uh, 41, he lets it out to other husbandmen. The parallel there again. The next parallel, letter C, is that he departed and sent back for his share. When that didn't work out, he returned. Opposites. The next parallel, the wicked husbandman beat and stoned and killed the servants. And in verse 39, they killed the son. Now what that puts right in the middle is verse 38. When they saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. This is the focus of the story as the, as the Jewish leaders understood it. So, we talked about those two questions. Who, by what authority do you do this? And who gave you the authority? So Jesus clearly starts out with a vineyard, a householder who owns the vineyard and gave it to 
husbandmen to take care of. And they probably immediately knew that this is God, and, and they as leaders are his husbandmen, right? But he sent back for his share of this vineyard, And they beat some of the servants. They stoned some of the servants. And they even killed some of the servants. But last of all, he sent his son saying, They will reverence my son. Kind of like, won't they? Won't they reverence my son? No, they killed the son. They killed the heir. And so Jesus is answering the question, My father is God. You are my father's husbandman, and I am the son. But I've come to you, and you're, this is prophecy now, you're going to kill me as the son, thinking that you will get the inheritance that way. Why did these wicked husbandmen even think that they could get away with any of this. They're supposed to give back a share of the fruit, and they didn't give any. I guess they thought they could, uh, with keeping all the fruit, they could become wealthy, and with wealth they could become powerful, and with power they could wealth and power they could live in luxury and accumulate more wealth. They actually deceived themselves to think they could kill the son and take his inheritance too. It, it makes no sense at all. I think it's interesting that there's no indicator here that the vineyard was a fruitless vineyard. And so we're going to apply to ourselves here. Um, obviously, we're to reverence the son, the householder's son that we're working for. Um, but again, that the, um, the response of the husbandman, verse 41... He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. We are part of a new kingdom. We're a new set of husbandmen, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye, we, should show forth the praises of of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That render the fruit and show forth his praises are almost exactly parallel, aren't they? The word render has the idea to, to deliver back or to, to make payment or recompense, um, to, to restore or to yield back. We're to show forth God's praises as the new husbandman, as the, as the, the second group of husbandmen. We've been offered the opportunity to render him back the fruit. Now we talk about bearing fruit, and that's good. Um, we're not just supposed to be stagnant or, you know, a tree with no fruit. We're, we're supposed to bear fruit. But what I haven't heard talk about much is, is what do we do with that fruit? No. Yeah, we, we know, right? But um, 
I think what he's getting at here is not that we need to bear fruit, but that the fruit we bear is what we give back to God. Now, how do we bear fruit without giving it back to God? I thought when you bear fruit, that's what, that is giving it back to God. I'm going to suggest a few things, and maybe you can add to this. Uh, we talk about our work being something that should bless people. It should be a ministry. Um, and it, it should. And then we uh, become wealthy with that, ministry, with that work that we call our ministry. It's, um, and so we begin to, we tend to treat the money like we are now the owner instead of a steward. So it's God's business, but it's our money, right? We've, we've intended to, to bless him with our work. And then we've kept things for ourselves. There's a lot on stewardship there. That's a, that's a whole other topic, but think about that angle. Um, we believe that our lives should, should be unconformed to the world, and that's good. Um, but we talked a little bit about, uh, Calvin, you mentioned, um, you know, what do we get out of it? Or we become judgmental of other people. So you can see that I'm very submissive to God. And so uh, because of that, you know, pat me on the back a little bit. And uh, I can look down my nose at you for being of a lesser, you know, not as godly as I am. Is that what nonconformity is all about? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm off base there. What do you think? How can we be? How can we bear fruit, but not give it back to God? I think it's a little bit like the Pharisees uh, praying in the synagogues and on the streets that they may be seen of men, or um, tithing on every little thing, um, but passing over mercy. And truth and judgment, or whatever the, uh, what did he say? Mercy and love and judgment, Jesus said. These ought to, they to have done, and not to leave the other undone. We, we are called, I, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. By living for the Lord, we do produce fruit. It, it comes from our lives. Um, we, we ought to bear fruit, and also ought to give that fruit to render that fruit back to the owner. Speaking of love and mercy, what about the fruit of the Spirit? Is that something that uh, we can hog for ourselves? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. That, those, that Spirit fruit is something that gives back, kind of automatically, doesn't it? Um, so maybe we need to think about those more. That, that brings us to the end of the parable, verse 41. However, verse 42, he keeps right on going. And I want to, I want to just finish with this. Um, kind of concludes and brings together these, these two or three parables. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures? Now, of course they had read. Obviously they had read. So the question was more likely, did you, didn't you know or didn't you perceive the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Therefore I say unto you, 
the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would have I would have put verse forty three in the previous parable, saying it's the same vineyard, it's God's kingdom, but He has taken one group of husbandmen away and put another group of. Uh, okay. Does am I am I right there? But to to bring these all together now, the kingdom is taken away from the first, the people that had the first opportunity, the greedy husbandmen, or those who say they will do the Father's will, but don't do it. The people with good intentions. And it's given to the last. It's given to the broken. To the ones who repent of their early failure and then go into the vineyard. It's, we use this as uh, that the Jews will be taken from the Jews and they won't be, they're not anymore, they'll be given to another nation. Might be a little extreme. Yeah. yeah. Um, as, I, think, I think it fits us pretty well too. It does fit us, yep. And I think that, I think it's important for us not just to look at the Jews and say, well, they should have done better, um, but to, to see how this fits us. And most parables, if you really break them down and, and analyze every little thing, there's a, there's a breakdown. And it's not Jesus' fault. Um, that's, it's, any illustration breaks down at some point. Um, but the point here was, is, was obvious to these men. They perceived that he had spoken of them. And I think the point needs to be obvious to us, too. That, um, is that true? I, I, it would look one main point there's more than one point to be had um, yeah I think the focus is like I was saying mostly toward the center if you look at the center of the story that's, that's the main thing and then you branch out and you see other lessons there as well well the Jews perceived that he spake of them so I hope you perceive as well uh, what God has for you in these parables, what, uh, it may be different for you than it is for me, um, but I hope you've been blessed by the grace that God offers to all of us and challenged as well to um, humbly return the fruits of whatever opportunity you have back to our gracious heavenly landowner.